there. This is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I love to talk to creative people about how they do their thing and how they hang in there for all the ups and downs of that kind of a life. So today my guest is an actor named Bill Brucktrup. You may know him for his role on NYPD Blue, John Irvin. He played that role for many years on ABC. And now he's currently starring in a play called The Inheritance in Los Angeles at the Geffen Playhouse. It's uh, an epic theater adventure. It's two different nights. It's like six hours altogether, part one and part two. I saw the play a couple weeks ago, and I love it so much. And Bill plays the uh, character of Morgan and Walter. He plays two different characters. And it's just so interesting how the show is put together. It looks at how different generations of gay men relate to each other. What do we owe each other? What can we learn from each other? It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And Bill was... Uh, so fun to talk to. So before we get to the interview, though, I want to remind you that there are two different ways you can listen to this podcast. You can listen, as you always do, on your favorite podcast app, and I appreciate that. Or if you want to support the show a little more, you can become a subscriber to DNR Studios. And what that means is you get my show two days earlier, and you get all of these other great shows that are part of the network. And if you say that you are uh, a subscriber because you listen to my show the most, then I get a little a little kickback in the form of cash, which is always nice. So, And I appreciate it. You can learn about that at dnrstudios.com. All right, that's enough for the plugs. Let's get to the interview. But what happened when we did this, a little sound note, is um, my Wi-Fi went out. So my friend Matt was nice enough to let me record the interview at his place. And I get over there with all my equipment. And we couldn't make my normal device work. So we ended up recording it on Zoom. So it might sound a little different than what you're hearing in my voice right now, but hopefully it'll be fine and the content is great. So thanks for, for understanding. And thank you, Matt, for letting me scramble over to your place and do the interview that way. So here's Bill Brocktrop. Joining me now via Zoom, it's actor Bill Brocktrop. Hello, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so thrilled to talk to you because I saw the show that you're in, The Inheritance at the Geffen Playhouse, two parts, like six plus hours. I love it so much. And I was like, I wonder if Bill would do the podcast so I can obsess about this play with him. And here we are. I'm so excited. Yes. Thank you for coming. Thank you for for making it through both parts. Uh, Matthew Lopez has written a brilliant play. It is linear. So it's, you know, it's good to see them in the correct order. How would you describe the show itself to people? Um, well, so Matthew Lopez has taken E.M. Forster's novel, Howard's End, um, uh, which is a, a book that many people have read, or maybe they saw the movie with uh, Emma Thompson and Anthony Hopkins. Um, it's a great movie. Howard's End is the name of a house, and he's taken this novel, Howard's End, which is uh, set in um, and written in the Edwardian times uh, in London, um, and picked up the basic plot and structure of that novel and set it in contemporary gay New York. It asks a lot of questions about what does one generation of gay men owe to other generations of gay men, those who come before us, those who come after us, um, and all while sort of set within the basic plot of this great Ian Forster novel. And you play two roles. I do. Um, I play um, uh, Morgan, who is the writer of uh, this sort of story and basically narrates a great portion of it. Ooh, cat. And, right. um, two dogs running around here. And, um, and then I play within the story itself, within the Howard's End story, uh, I play Walter Poole, who is um, the Ruth Wilcox character from the novel. It's the Vanessa Redgrave part from the movie, um, who is a um, 
character who is integral in the, sort of the plot of Howard's End. You sort of pop out and narrate at times, and then you're also playing mm-hmm. straight scenes. What is that to switch back and forth? Is that just part of what you do as an actor, or is there a, is there a way of thinking about that? Well, the play is, is set up so that it's a bunch of young men who are telling this story. And so it's like we are sort of starting like uh, almost like an improv. We, we all join in together to kind of make up this story and sort of tell it as we're going. And uh, Morgan, who I play, is sort of the leader of that, uh, of that group. I try to change a little bit physically, a little bit vocally, uh, right. because it does switch back and forth between Morgan and Walter fairly quickly. But um, um, it's a kind of play where people are jumping in, throwing in lines, and... Um, adding to the narration of the story um in, in, a, in a lot of a lot of people are doing the same thing so um we're all just kind of jumping in as an actor it's been fun to play both parts i love both of them i don't know which one i like better i like the i like both both my people very much the night that i saw it and i'm sure every night i i cried i get very i got very emotional in it do you feel it happening in the audience can you hear people literally do you hear it uh We've been lucky to have wonderful audiences who have responded very well to the play. The play is very funny. It's very funny. Matthew Lopez is a very great witty, witty, funny writer. This is about upscale gay men in New York of a certain kind of socioeconomic and educational background who, you know, where banter and uh, clever lines are, um, are valued highly. Yet the play has great heart and asks really important, powerful questions, and is very moving. So um, we're very lucky to have a piece where the writing has uh, both great humor and great feeling, great sentiment. And uh, so the audiences have responded to that. Um, I am pleased to say that the lighting is so bright that I can't really see the audience very well, which is something I'm personally happy about. But you can definitely feel people going on the journey with us and feel them um, feeling the emotions that, that we are hoping that they will feel throughout the play. It's just both thoughtful and emotional because it makes you think a lot about gay culture at large, about, again, our responsibilities as gay men to one another, to our community. What What is that about? And at the same time, it's very funny and very uplifting. So it it's it's a little bit of everything. Which is a, it sounds it sounds like that means nothing, but it's very specific. It's about this community, but it also speaks to all communities. I think, and I think that you don't need to know Howard's End, the novel, at all to to understand what's happening. You don't need to know it at all. If you do know it or you do know the movie, that's great. But it, you don't need to at all because it's very self-explanatory. And I think if you just go for the ride, we, we sort of feel like it's like binging a Netflix show or some kind of wonderful television program because it is it is. Uh, with both parts, about six hours, and uh, but it, it, honest to God, not lying, it flies by because um, it just moves, and the plot and the characters keep you engaged uh, throughout the entire thing, I think. I never thought, when is this going to be over? I was like, when's the next episode? I wanted to binge the next episode. It does have that thing. And haven't it. we all seen plays that are 90 minutes long that you think, wow, this will never end? No. Uh, I was, so, I was so into it. How did it come to you? I think the um, the play was a, a, uh, originally done in London. It was a big hit there. Um, they then did it uh, in New York on Broadway. Um, it won the Tony Award for the best play. Um, they brought most of that cast from London uh, with them, or a great many of them. Uh, 
they had to close early because of the pandemic. They ran right up into March of 2020. So I know there are people who saw only got to see part one in New York and never got to see part two because oh, wow. you know, some people saw them, but, but if you waited too long, yeah, uh, you know, they, they, they got kind of stuck there. Um, I believe that Geffen was planning to do the play uh, a couple of years earlier. Um, I found out about it uh, personally a little bit um, later than that. So I kind of found out about it just before we started rehearsal. Um, I was actually, it was very nice. I got a, a very nice phone call from my agent. I was hiking in the Alps in um in France, and um, oh, wow. I was up in the middle of nowhere in a little kind of uh, refugio, like in a you know dormitory bunk bed kind of setting, in a place very remote up in the middle of no place, but happened to have Wi-Fi, and uh, and got a very nice uh, uh, message from my agent saying that they wanted me to do the play, and I was absolutely thrilled. I started learning my lines as soon as I uh, got back down the mountain. <laughs> Had you seen it? I knew of it. I hadn't read it, so I had to. I read it in a hotel. It sounds very, very glamorous. I read it in a hotel room in Chamonix. Uh, yeah, you did. France okay. uh, on my How phone. On my phone because um, that's all I had. Uh, long play to read on your phone, um, and I was blown away by it. I was like, they, "This play is so, so beautiful." Um, I had um, the great opportunity to work on another Matthew Lopez play in Santa Barbara. I did The Legend of George McBride, which is uh, another play by this writer. So I, I knew his that. writing was terrific. His writing is superb. Um, so I was very happy to um, uh, to, to be to be working on, on another piece of his. One of your characters has a quite long monologue. When you're yeah. reading it in your hotel in France, are you <laughs> rolling and going... This is, my, uh, this is, were you having a panic attack going, yeah, I have to uh, uh, Yes, actually, 100%. Yes, as I, uh, there is a, there is a, a, a scene with a, a lot of dialogue in it. And I, um, I was scrolling on my phone exactly saying, I thought they've got to be kidding me. Got, surely this can't, they can't seriously mean this. Um, but they do mean it. What are your techniques for learning a big chunk like that? You know, everybody learns lines differently. And it's, right. it is honestly not the most fun part of acting. Um, right. but, uh, I, I will say this: when writing is really good, it, it is much easier to learn um, because it makes sense. Each each right. each piece makes sense. It's kind of like a like a reminds me of like a string, and you're just sort of following it. And if it makes sense, and and the things that you want to say coming out of your mouth are actually the things the author has written, so it, it makes it much easier. I usually learn things by walking up and down the hill. I live up in the hills here in LA, and I, I walk up and down the hill and around the neighborhood saying it out loud, but neighbors probably think I'm nuts, but uh, I feel like it gets it into your body when you're kind of talking and moving at the same time. So your neighbors occasionally get a show. They get a little... (laughs) They do. They do. They see me with with sides for auditions and things walking around. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Your neighbors like trimming their heads going, you're indicating, I mean, (laughs) 10% left. Exactly right. Um, So I kind of say it as I, as I move around. Um, I think that helps kind of get it into the body and just like one little chunk at a time. And, and I have to say that Geffen was extremely helpful in um, giving us as much, because there's so much dialogue for everybody, not just for me, for, for, for oh, yeah. all the actors. So we had a great deal of help. We had a number of awesome uh, production assistants and stuff who worked tirelessly uh, with us, like every break, every, every time we were rehearsing and they were doing a scene on, you know, that I wasn't in, I was in another room running lines with, with uh, one of the great, great, um, uh, assistant stage managers that they have on the show. So we were very lucky that way. What I love about the play and the writing is it's not afraid to be too much. 
Like it's the too muchness of it is I found kind of thrilling and inspiring as a writer. Oh yeah. Just think big. Like you didn't feel like the writer was going, Oh, I can't do that. Or I can't say that. You felt like there was a liberation around it. And yet I found it unpretentious. Like he drops a lot of names of important writers, but then the character says, yeah, I never read those. I just saw the movie. And I'm like, yes, that's who I am. But it has that, sort of, too. It has too. that New York highbrow veneer, but it's also like, I found unpretentious compared to other shows like that that I've seen. What's so brilliant about him is that he, he is not afraid and it's audacious. It really is audacious. The yes. size and scope of this play. Yes. I a, a, a playwriting, a, a friend who was a, a playwright came the other night and she said, you know, it is audacious that he wrote this to uh, with this much scope and this much size to it because most plays now are you know playwrights write little three character plays and things in the hope of being produced so this ginormous play is a bit of like what are you thinking he builds up these big ideas but he's constantly been pricking holes in them so it takes all the fanciness out of it Um, and I think that's a lot of the brilliance of it is that just when it, the ideas are getting big you'll throw in a laugh or something to kind of undercut and it really is the way that my friends speak that the gay people I know operate yes. uh, with the same kind of humor and the same kind of uh, pain often underneath the same kind of um, intelligence, the same kind of wit. Um, so it's really spoke to me. as like, I know these people, I know these people. What does it meant to you to be, to be the, the age that you are, which is around my age, I think. And also doing <laughs> this, there's a moment where one of the characters says, what's, what's a T cell. And everyone on stage and in the audience kind of gasps because we just can't imagine not knowing that or not thinking about that all the time. Yeah, it's been very interesting. You know, all my life I felt like I was kind of like the youngest one in the crowd. You know, I hung out with some older people and I was like the young one. Uh, In this play, I think I'm the oldest person. And so um, it's been very interesting kind of hanging out with uh, a lot of gay guys in their 20s and 30s who whose experience is very different than mine, uh, and yet very similar in other ways, and that's what the play is about. And then we've got a character in the play who, you know, is called back to to join us from, uh, you know, 1912. And the difference between that time, when it was absolutely illegal and it was no, you couldn't even conceive of being an openly gay person, to the time when uh, I kind of came of age in the 80s and 90s, um, to the guys now, there's been huge changes, huge progress and huge changes. And often we have, I think, maybe taken for granted what the people who came before us did to get us to where we are, which yeah. play addresses. And then it also addresses what do we, what do I owe then to the young ones coming up after me? I, I, I hope I could be a mentor for the guys, uh, you know, the younger guys in the chats. I've tried to show them my, my good work ethic. Do they, do they talk to you about the landscape for gay actors and how that's evolved? Because you were kind of a pioneer in that way, playing a gay character on NYPD Blue pretty early on. Yeah, we have. It's been very interesting because Tuck Watkins, who is uh, plays uh, Henry Wilcox in the play and is um, uh, you know in the same generation as I am, we've known each other. Too. He's so good in it. Terrific. Everybody He's is. Terrific. Yeah. He's terrific. I'm very, very pleased to, to be able to work with him. I've known him for, I don't know, 25 years probably. Not well, but from around because there's just not that many openly gay actors who in the 90s. I absolutely you know, knew him. We spoke and we'd see each other at things even though we hadn't really worked together before. 
Um, and so we talked a lot about this. And then actually Tuck brought up and found that he had done a guest uh, appearance on NYPD Blue and found a scene that we had shared together, which I had not even remembered. Uh, and showed it to all the showed it to all the all the guys, all the younger guys, and they were like, "Oh my God, look at there's the two of us sort of sharing a brief uh, kind of passing on the screen." And um, so yeah, we have talked about it, uh, um, the, the difference now about and what it was like being a gay actor, you know, at that time. And then again, I've got to think about the gay actors who came before me, who, you know, um, when I came out during, uh, publicly, I mean, to the, to the press and everything in like 95, when NYPD Blue was on. And I have to then think back about actors who, who were earlier than that, who didn't have that opportunity or weren't able to, or, or those pioneers who did and what that cost them career-wise uh, in many cases. And we see now, more and more uh, roles for gay people and gay actors uh, on stage and on television and film. And it's very encouraging. I said to Tuck, it's like we're seeing what we wanted to have happen, you know, for us. Yeah. Which was that we wanted to be able to play gay characters and bring those to life and tell those stories because they're important to us. And we were able to in some cases in small ways and sometimes larger ways. But now there are many, many more opportunities. And that is exactly what we at the time, hoped would happen. I can remember having conversations with some of the, again, rather few opening gay actors in the, in the 90s talking about that that was our wish for the future, that the, that the next generation would have an easier time. And I'm not saying it's easy now because not ever easy for people, but I still think there's been progress made and maybe in some for ways sure. it is. sure. I think you probably definitely paid a price, but also that, it, that you might be thinking now it was worth it. I think that way as a writer. Like, I, I think I was always pretty true to myself in my work. And there weren't big opportunities where I could have cashed in if I had made a different choice. But I do feel like, you know what, I, I can stand by my my trajectory. I don't have any guilt about, like, oh, I, I, can't, I, I sold out. I, I could have been braver and I wasn't. Like, I feel okay about my journey. And I, I, I would imagine maybe you feel something similar. I do, I do, and I've never regretted that coming out early. It was my friend, the playwright Jonathan Tolan, who I remember very distinctly saying to me, do you want to be the last of the dinosaurs, kind of trying to stay in the closet and bringing a girl to a you know, function and things and, 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 and trying to live that way, or do you want to be on the vanguard of, of the new and coming out? And, and it, when you put it in those kind of terms, it seemed very simple. Also, I was not very good at, you know, dissembling so it was, was not particularly hard for you know people to figure out i and also i remember people saying at that time you know like oh but aren't you afraid you only get to play gay characters and i sort of feel like i like playing gay characters enjoyed playing them i feel more authentic i feel like i also have something to contribute when it's a gay character in the story i feel like i have something to talk about as an artist and so that's I like that. On the other hand, you know, I think there are many, many things that happen in those days that I feel like I could have been braver. I wish I had been braver and I wish I had been more outspoken. I think everyone maybe did as much as they could and operated in the way they they could. You know, NYPD Blue reached out to lots of sort of blue-collar guys, yeah. cops, firemen, military guys. I got to do all these sort of um, military appearances, USO things, where I was able to reach people who I don't think they knew any gay people in their lives or they didn't think that they did, um, who were accepting of this character um, in a way that, um, what I'm saying is like, you know, queer as folk was on at the same time. 
And I remember talking to creators of that show. And that reached a, a certain you know demographic and really made some changes and really moved the needle on where where things were, gave the portrayal of gay men on television and women on television. And uh, and where Peter Blue was doing something different and reaching a different audience who had never watched Queer as Folk. So everyone's kind of operating within the sphere where they could. And it's interesting because in the play, you know, um, Morgan, the enforcer, the enforcer character, talks about whether or not he was brave writing the, the, the gay novel Morris. Yeah. But then hiding it from the world until after his death. And so was it brave to write it? Yes. Was it not brave to hide it? Yes. So we all have, I think, um, looking back at the history and our own histories, things we're proud of and things that we would potentially do differently. I've never been, uh, but I'm, I've always been glad that I came out. I'm always been glad that I, I didn't try to do it a different way. Yeah, um, I don't. I don't. I honestly don't think it. I don't. I don't think it cost me roles. It wasn't like I was going up for the, uh, you know, hunky straight guy in these things. So it, it, it was not a world that. But as an artist too, I've often thought like it's not a world that I know to speak about. It is a world like. This this play is a world that I know to speak about, and I have a real right. contribution that I can make. So uh, it makes me very happy. I am thrilled that there are now, uh, you know, uh, uh, gay actors taking on straight leading roles and things. Um, you know, Neil Patrick Harris and, and Matt Bomer. I mean, I think it's fantastic. Um, my journey has been a little bit different, but I am pretty proud of it and pretty satisfied with it. Yeah, you should be. When you were out and there were a lot of people that weren't, was the vibe weird when you would run into them at auditions? Did they, did they like, because I've had experiences where I felt like people didn't want to get any of my gay on them, if that makes sense. <laughs> did you ever have yeah. any experiences like that? Yes, I know what you're talking about for sure. Um, and there were actors who were gay who were not out. That we, I mean, we all knew that they were gay, but they were not out at the time. And I, I, felt at the time a little bit like seriously you know seriously uh, but again i think everyone it's a very personal thing every right. coming out you know we all know how hard it is to come out to yourself originally yeah. and you know to admit to yourself and 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 well no, it wasn't for everybody some people had no problem with that for me it was difficult um then coming out to your family your friends and then the additional layer that happens sometimes um, in the case of an actor or a writer or something, which is to come out in the press and, and tell the whole world. I know that I have a great personal respect for the guys who did it early, um, for the guys who really took risks. Um, Mitchell Anderson, um, a, lot, a lot of guys um, that I still run into at auditions. You know, I still right. see and uh, talk Watkins, guys that, that, that I think and, and I have. Sometimes a harder time with ones who waited longer, but you know what? They did, but they did it the way that they they could and that they felt comfortable. And and then a lot of those people have really picked up the the baton and run much further than I was able to. So uh, it's it's a, a big trajectory of history, and everybody I think contributing to move the ball forward, if you will. I think the ball has been moved forward. Yeah, no, for sure. And I'm sure the the younger actors that you work with it's probably different when they go into some of these rooms and stuff. And I don't know. I, I, I hope so. I'm sure there's still homophobia, you know, obviously in the world and certainly in the business, we see it in the world. I mean, and you know, such a backlash in many ways, I'm a very uh, positive uh, person about the trajectory of history. And so I think that, um, 
we are seeing like some of the, I hope, last gasps of homophobia, but sometimes it doesn't seem like that. So yeah, it, um, it's got some gasping. There's some real gasping. There's some real gasping going on. <laughs> but I think that I think that just if you look at like the at gay marriage and how uh, public opinion in the in the United States has has really changed over a very short period of time, if you look at it in a historical sense. I, again, I, I have I'm a, a little bit um, of an optimist when it, when it comes to that. Uh, but again, I've been in a very privileged position to um, have a family that was supportive, to have found um, roles in the in the theater and on the television and things that allowed me to to do the things I wanted to do and talk about the things I wanted to talk about. So I've been very lucky that way. Not everyone's had that fortune. Yeah, I was having lunch yesterday with an actress friend of mine who finally got the big series, like the series. She got it, and. It was great for a while, and then it kind of it brought up a bunch of stuff. Huh. What was it like when you got NYPD Blue? Because I think it's the the big whale for actors, I think, in L.A. And yeah. was it everything you would think of, or did it come with other stuff? Um, well, I mean, my goodness, no, I was lucky as can be. I, I um, uh, It changed everything for me, obviously, in, in all kinds of ways. Uh, um, Financially, you know, having a series is very helpful. Sure. An actor, um, and, a, and I felt like I was lucky to have found myself on a show that was uh, well respected and well regarded. Um, so then you get a little bit of that glow of it because you're um, associated with, you know, quality television. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah. I felt very lucky. I also know a ton of actors who I think could have done this part just as well. I think I, I was very lucky to, to kind of stumble into it and, and be cast. And, and, and I did work hard. I did try. I showed up every day and did the best job I could do. I never kind of, um, I don't believe I ever got, you know, kind of complacent in the work that I was doing. So that part, the good on me part, but the, but it was very lucky. I was very lucky to be there. It was a weird experience in some ways too, because I, I felt like it, it was very much a, a kind of boys club there, you know, um, yeah. they, they treated me very nicely, but always as a little bit of a reserve, I think. Sure. So I was never quite one of the guys, which actually fit the role. You know, I was, for those who haven't seen it, whatever I was playing, the, um, public administrative aides kind of like being the receptionist at the desk there in a, in a very gritty, uh, squad room with a bunch of racist, homophobic cops and stuff. And, um, and trying to win them over with a little bit of sunshine and a positive attitude. So it was great fun. The character was a bit of an outsider, and so that sometimes I find in a lot of things, the person that you're playing, some of it bleeds over into the real life. Um, like in this play, I'm playing a mentor to these boys, uh, to these young men in the play. And, um, and, and one note that I got from our, the playwright was that um, Morgan should be, you know, with the guys, but not one of them. Right. And so that's how I kind of feel. I love the guys. I'm with them, but I'm not yeah. exactly one of them. I mean, I'm older. I'm, I'm a different, I'm a different time. And so I stand apart a little bit from them. So when I went to Petey Blue, I, the role was a little bit of an, a, a part and I felt always a little bit apart. That doesn't, that's all fine because it's, it's just sort of informing the work. It works. Did you keep anything as a souvenir from NYT Petey Blue? We were in the, we we're in the 15th squad. Right. Um, and there's a, a big sort of, 
badge thing that was hanging on the wall always up here. And as they were tearing down the set on the last day, because they don't wait around, you know, you finish the filming and they, they, oh. they tear it down. Uh, I, I was like, Oh, I really want that. And it sort of bolted to the wall. And I was like, well, I guess, you know, I guess they'll probably throw it away or something. And Jesse Boschko, Stephen Boschko's son, who, uh, was a director on the show came running out to me as my as I was pulling out my car and handed it to me and I still have that. He knew there. that he knew that you wanted it. I had said I wanted it and um, and he got it off the wall somehow and brought it out to me. You know, it's about yay big and it was there on the set for all the twelve years yes. and I just was like, you I wanted it for twelve years. Yeah, I just kind of wanted it. And that was such a kind gesture. I've always remembered yes, that running out to the car. Came running out to my car. I, mean, I was I like pulling off the lot for the last time. It was very kind. Very kind. You can uh, can you take a picture of it and send it to me and I'll post it with this podcast. I want to talk about another character in the play, Eric mm-hmm. Glass, who's kind of the center of it. Mm-hmm. This character spoke to me so profoundly, mm-hmm. and I don't know. I don't. I don't know if you need. <laughs> I don't even know what my question is. But I found him heroic, and I think it might have been the wow. actors. The, the actor Adam Cantor is amazing in it. But there's right. something about that character's decency. And yeah. he doesn't quite know how good he is. That I found very moving. Um, yeah. It is definitely, I think, I believe it's Eric's story, finally. Um, in the book, it's um, it's two sisters uh, that, that um, 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 they were played in the movie by uh, Helen Bonham Carter and uh, um, Emma Thompson. Um, and they and the two sisters get involved with uh, one sister with kind of a wealthy family and one sister with kind of a poor family. And they're sort of well-intentioned, uh, but they, they meddle in things and cause havoc in both areas. In this play, uh, the two sisters are, 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 it's a gay couple who are together. And one gets involved with kind of a wealthy family. One gets involved with kind of a, a, a poor guy. And they um, mess things up. Yeah. Um, and Eric, we say at the beginning in some of the narration that Eric does not believe he's special. That's the big thing about Eric. He has a secret. He does not believe he's special. Yes. And then I say at home that, that Eric has the potential to change the world more than anybody else in the play. And, yes. uh, and he does so. And he has to come to believe in himself, believe in his decency, and believe that he's special enough to, to do things. And we say he, he believes he was ordinary, painfully ordinary. And I think there's something beautiful about that idea that someone who believes they're painfully ordinary really does have the potential to, to change the world. And um, and then we see Eric go on a journey where, where by the end of the play, that is what he does. And it's very moving, uh, I think, and a, and a very, very true thing. And brilliantly played by Adam. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and the way it's written and acted. But also, I think it says to you in the audience, you may not think you're that great, yeah. but you can do great things. Uh, I just found that performance so powerful. So at the beginning, that neither one of the, the of the two guys, neither one was all that. It was not particularly brilliant or successful. They're they're regular, ordinary people who then, through a journey of discovery and about about their capabilities and through some heartbreak, learn that they can change the world. And yeah. that is something that I do think is universal to everybody. We we need to believe that we do have the the capability and the power and the and the wherewithal to, to change the world. This is a totally random question. What's your favorite Westwood Village hangout? Honestly, my favorite thing in Westwood that I do, because I do a, I do sort of a little walk before I do show each yeah. night. I take a walk and kind of 
as I said, say my lines a little bit. Right. Um, and the UCLA campus is more beautiful than I had realized. So uh, in this nice fall weather, the, the UCLA campus is a gorgeous yes. place to take a walk. It's a fun atmosphere to be around young people, yeah. academia, and all of that yeah. stuff. Tell people how they can see the show. Well, they could go to the uh, Geffen's website. Um, yes, Geffen Playhouse. Um, and, and, and get tickets. Um, we are going through November uh, 28th right now. Um, um, we have a possibility of extending into December if it all goes well, but we haven't we haven't uh, heard about that yet. So I would I would go now. Um, I, I think it's been pretty crowded, and I think um, as we go, word of mouth has been very good. The response from the audience has been pretty astounding, honestly. And so, I, fingers crossed, we will we will get to do this for a, a long time. What have the reactions been like? The conversations you've had afterwards. Are there themes that come up? Do you know, my favorite one was um, I, I had uh, acquaintances come on uh, friend acquaintances uh, come come. I didn't know they were there. Just people who came that I, I happen right. to know. And there was a uh, one one guy who's um, pretty old, uh, an older fellow, you know, on a walker, someone I've known for a long time. Again, not well, but from from a long time. And then a, and then a young guy that I had worked with on another play who's in his twenties. And so they when I came out after the show, both both. Both groups were, you know, here. And to have uh, guys in their 20s and guys in their 70s sort of both being affected by the play and talking about the play and excited to discuss how it made them feel and, and how moved they were by it was a perfect living example of what the theme of the play is. You know, right. It's like, oh, I've got this happening right here. Um, that was very gratifying. Projects come to people at different times in their life. What has it meant to you to be doing this now, coming out of COVID? Because I think as an actor, you never really know what's around the corner, right? And, and uh, the idea that like, I could do this big, ambitious, complicated, rich thing. Uh, but, nice. this but it's is, also really hard. Like, what has it meant to you to be doing this now? It's just really sort of nuts because I, I told you I was in... I was, in it sounds pretentious. I was in the Alps, um, but I was on this, on this, on this. I was hiking the Tour de Mont Blanc, it's called. And um, uh, part of the reason I went, it's a long, like kind of multi-day, like hundred-mile kind of hike. And I was thinking the whole time, I'm like, I'm so sick of acting. I'm so sick of show business. I'm so sick of trying to be and to trying to add, trying to get jobs, banging my head against the wall. Um, I really was feeling like, uh, I, what am I doing? I don't really want to do this. And um, for the first time in a long time, I've ever felt that way. And I met this woman on the on the uh, on the hike. Who, and when people find out you're an actor on these, they, they're, they're always kind of like, "Oh, you're an actor." Oh, you know, it's interesting often to people. And um, she said, just kind of weirdly out of the blue, she said, "I just feel your greatest role is ahead of you." And it was the next day I got this call from my agent. So I was like, "Ooh." How she know? How she know? No, that was amazing. I was, I was like, shout out to her. I mean, I was like, you know, random person on the trail. I mean, lovely person, not random, but right, a lovely but... woman I just met, um, who just sort of had this thought and said that to me up in the middle of the mountains. And uh, uh, and the next day, I got this, I got this uh, role. And so, um, I guess that's that's the thing about show business. You just never know when something great will come along. I'll say it's going to be hard to find another one as good as this. I mean, this I am pretty fond of this play and this, uh, this this these two roles. So it will not be easy to uh, to find something as good again. But when they come along like this, I think the ideas we just savor them. I mean, I just try yes. to remember every night how lucky and thrilled I am to be able to tell part of this story.
and it lifts you up for the when it's over. You you can coast on it for a while. Like no. <laughs> you get a big win, you're good for a while, right? Um, do well, I don't know. You always want to go on to the next one. You want the next right. one lined up right away. But um, I, I uh, again, it, things like this don't come along every day. They just don't. Um, it, and I've been lucky to have wonderful roles and things. And I, I love all the parts I've been able to play. But this one is certainly very special. Do you have a favorite scene? <laughs> Um, honest to God, I usually like them best right when they're over. Cause I think like, phew, did it. Right. <laughs> my favorite part is usually when I'm, uh, you know, the lights go down and I walk out and I think, okay, we did it. Yeah. Uh, because I, I'm just, I'm a fretter and a worrier. And I'm, uh, so, uh, it, it's hard to be, uh, until we make it through. I always feel like there's a chance of tripping or falling or, you know. Nothing, always, something over. As a theater lover, I always like to watch the actors in the curtain call and how they interact and who looks at who and who has <laughs> somebody on the back and like oh. what's going on. Like I just like that vibe. And also, it's also amazing when somebody looks like a different person. In the curtain oh yeah, call. yeah. And they didn't change their hair or anything. But they like, oh, that's a different person. Like something interesting. Happened. It's magic. That's interesting. Yeah. I am. Um... You know, we have two curtain calls because we have part one and part two. Yeah. Um, uh, I get to stand by people I like very much. So I am thinking, like, I, I do think I get to pat people on the shoulder sometimes sure. if I'm done it. Yeah. Um, I don't make you self-conscious about the No, pass, no, but... no. Uh, I, um, <laughs> yeah, when it all kind of drops, I mean, it's just a great feeling to be in a story that people respond to so well. I mean, when we get out to the curtain call, I can finally sort of see the audience and it's a little bit like, oh my gosh, you guys are here too. Even as I was preparing for this interview, I was so moved by it, but I couldn't articulate why or what theme, like it's just so rich that mm. I'm not even sure what questions to ask, but I just had this yeah. great experience and I was excited to talk to somebody who's in the middle of it. Final question, why do you act? Yeah, I don't know. So totally, I was in the Alps thinking the same question. Until um, <laughs> so you met that you know, lady. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, when it's, because when it's great, it's, it's great. When it's great, it's great. You know, it can be, it's in a very uh, annoying business in a lot of ways. On the other hand, it's a great business. And I've had, a, I've been very lucky. When you are acting well, it feels like, well, I don't know what surfing feels like, but it feels like it feels like what surfing would be. It's, it's, you just feel like you're riding a wave and it's easy and, and fun. And, and when you're playing with people as good as we have in this show, uh, it's uh, again, another metaphor, but you're hitting the ball back and forth and, and it's just fun and easy and, and it feels great. That's the part that's worth it. I love it. Bill, it was so fun to talk to you. Thank you Me for taking too. this time. I know you have a big show tonight. I can't wait. I want to come back and see it again. I'm going to come and... Please do. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much. Uh, such Bye. a pleasure talking with you. Bye. Okay. Bye. Thanks again to Bill Brucktrup. Go see The Inheritance if you're in Los Angeles or if you're even nearby. Come in and make a day of it. I'm definitely going to go see it again. Uh, it really it really moved me, made me laugh, made me think. Uh, I'm super into it. So um, check it out. All right. So this happened. Um, in the last podcast, we talked about my bro's birthday where a bunch of friends went and saw bros and and then the reaction to the movie and all of that stuff. Well, I went to a Q&A at the Writers Guild. They did a screening there. And Billy Eichner was there, and also the director and co-writer, uh, Nick Stroller, was there. And uh, they answered questions about the movie, and uh, it was a week after the movie had come out and, and not done great and all of that sort of social media commentary and all of that stuff. And 
Um, one of the things that Nick Stoller said that I thought was interesting is, you know, the cast is all LGBTQ people, and some of them are unknown. Some of them you, you've seen in different things. But he said that every cast member really came to play on the movie. Like, they were prepared. They knew what they were doing. Like, they just were, like, some of the most professional people as a group that he'd ever worked with. And I think it just indicates that, you know, we're not taking this opportunity lightly. Like, we we have a chance to really shine here in a big sort of major studio way, and we're going to bring it. So that was cool to hear. And then I got to ask a question when they opened it up to the audience, and I said, you know, there's so much humor and heart and ideas in this movie, but what's something that got cut out of the movie that you guys missed? That was my question. And uh, they sort of... <laughs> Uh, kind of laughed together. They said there were like two major set pieces, which are kind of bigger sequences, and uh, they got caught. And they only described one of them. And Billy was like, "Should we tell this? Well, I don't know if we should tell it." Anyway, they ended up telling it because I love when people are like, "I don't know if I should say this," and you're like, "You've got to say it now. You got to say it." So um, there's a sequence in the movie that's kind of like a montage where Billy's character is on a float in a pride parade in Provincetown. And his love interest, uh, Luke, Aaron, I believe is the character's name, is watching from the, the street as the parade goes by. And they wave, and that's the whole moment. Well, I, when I saw the movie, I was like, that's a lot of production value for just, like, one little wave. Um, I bet there was more to that scene. So sure enough, it turned into a big set piece in the movie that, they, that got cut that was like a gigantic pride fight like just everything it turns into a fight and people are shouting pride fight pride fight and apparently at one moment one moment like um there's a, a granny marching with a sign that says i love my gray my gay grandson or something you know one of those kind of p flag sweet sweet groups and there's a granny with a sign and the granny literally gets thrown up on by a drag queen <laughs> like it's that kind of a a melee but what starts the melee which i thought was so interesting is there were apparently, according to Billy, um, three characters, drag queens that were dressed as the Wicked Witch of the West. And I think they're referred to either in the script or in Billy's mind as the Twitter bitches. And they were standing on the side of the parade looking at Billy on the float and saying all the bitchy things people say about him on Twitter, like, that they might say, in, in Billy's mind anyway. Like, I don't know why he's up there. He's not even that great. And I don't know how he's not, he doesn't even think, he's not even that hot or whatever. Whatever these bitches would say, um, they say it in front of Aaron, uh, who is standing nearby. And he's, of course, you know, starting to date Billy's character. And somehow pandemonium ensues and there's a big fight that turns into a pride fight with people vomiting on other people but um what i thought was so interesting about it is that in his own movie he predicted the bitchy twitter vibe that would await him um from some quarters and i i wish they would leak that scene i think it kind of a it would you know get more buzz going and and maybe make more people curious but it also sort of says look yeah i saw this coming there is this there is this this dynamic in our culture right now, and it's not a shock, and I'm not sure what we do about it, but I think we can make a fun scene out of it. So anyway, maybe we'll see it someday in a deleted scene or somewhere, but um, I would definitely love to check that out because it sounds interesting and funny. And who doesn't love... I love a, I love a pride fight. Who doesn't love a pride fight? Uh, 
to tail us all this time. All right, that's enough for this week. Thank you for listening. I want to give a shout-out to AJ Sousa for mixing the episodes. JB Bercy helps out with some additional technical support. My theme music is by Mark Daniels for Placement Music. We'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye! Bye!